Hey, Anchor family, welcome to our podcast. We wanted to thank you for listening today. We pray this message encourages you, that it inspires you, pray it builds your faith and brings you hope. Enjoy the message. The fortunes of Zion. We were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then... It was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Verse 4, restore our fortunes. Lord, like the streams in the Negev, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Heavenly Father, I pray now as we get into your word that you would speak to us, that you would reveal yourself to us, as we draw in closer to you. We thank you, Lord, for this time that we have had in worship. And we ask, Lord, that now that you would help our ears to hear and our eyes to see what you want to reveal. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Before you sit down, before you sit down, finish this for me. And I'll know how long you've been in church. I got the joy 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 down in my where where okay 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 so now i know you've been in church your whole life you could be seated i love that song i sang that song all the time when i was younger as we are entering into week three of advent the the subject of week three in Advent is joy. And every time I think of joy, I think of that song. And it's unfortunate because when I think of that song, I don't feel joy. Because that song is kind of, I don't know, it's kind of annoying, gets on your nerves. And yet it's about joy. I think the subject of joy is a difficult subject. This week, um, I was with my kids at home, and each one of them, they have chores, different things that they have to do, different things that they have to do every single day. They have to clean. They have to pick up. They have to do something. And I remember my son Michael was doing his task. He's, he does the dishes. And when he finished the dishes, he walked away, and I stopped him. I said, hey, wait a minute, man. Something's wrong with this picture that I'm looking at. He said, what, what do you mean? Like, I did the dishes. I said, yeah, but the counter is like really dirty. Like there's food everywhere. There's stuff. Like you got to clean the counter. And, and you, know what that, you know what that boy said to me? He said, that, that's not my job. Now, at that moment, I had to really think about how I was going to respond as a Christian father because I'm also Hispanic, and I got a little bit of attitude with me. 
And um, I just don't know that I ever would have said that to my dad if he would have told me that I had to do something. I would have just done it or else I would have magically had a, a, a Mexican chancla flying at me from across the room. If you're Hispanic, you know the chanclas are the worst form of punishment you can get. They'll find you no matter how old you are, wherever you're at. I sat there in disbelief. He was like, that's not my job, dad. That is actually Ezra's job. It's not my job to do that. It's, it's Ezra's job. And I said, but the dishes are so close to this counter. Like, I would think that you would do it even though you didn't think it was your job. He just looked at me, and I thought he was going to clean it up. Instead, he calls for Ezra. Ezra, come over here, because... It's not his job. Here's what I want to tell you today when it comes to your joy. And it might be something that you don't want to hear, but your joy is your job. Your joy is your job. When we look at joy in the scripture, most of us feel like it's a supernatural thing that God does for us, but we are wrong when it comes to understanding joy. Most of the time, we, we mix up happiness with joy. But even in our understanding of joy, I think, we've, I think we've confused it a little bit. And in this season, when we celebrate Jesus and everything that he's done for us, one of the things that we celebrate, one of the words that are used heavily in this season is joy. It's in the scriptures we read. I think the scripture where the angels actually come and they announce Jesus. They say, this will bring joy to everyone. Joy is a big theme. But how can we experience joy? What is joy? Joy, first and foremost, is not happiness. Happiness is something that is a feeling that we get whenever things are going well. Joy is actually the opposite of happiness. Joy is an attitude that is not determined by happy circumstances. Joy happens because you hope in God's love and his promise regardless of the circumstances. The Bible says that you and I, we can experience this thing called joy in moments when things aren't really looking that good. There was a scripture in the Bible when Israel was leaving Egypt. They had left captivity, and the Bible says that they are now in the desert. And if you understand the story of the Israelites, they are going to be in that desert for 40-plus years. But to them, they are just now stepping foot in the desert. They are no longer in captivity, but they are now heading towards a place called the Promised Land. And the Bible says that the Lord in the book of Psalm 105 verse 43 says, the Lord caused his people to leave Egypt with joy. They left Egypt with joy, not because they had arrived at the promised land, but because they were on the road to it, even though it was a desert. So they were experiencing joy, even though they had hard times to come. 
we can have joy even on the pathway to the place that God has for us in our destiny. And I know that that's difficult sometimes because the pathway is not, it's not as enjoyable as the destination. And yet we can experience joy now. The Bible teaches us in Psalm 126 something that's, that's so important when it comes to joy. It's actually a song, and it's not written by David. Did you know that not every psalm was written by David? Not every psalm was written by David. We actually don't know who wrote this psalm, but we do know that it was not David. And the psalmist here wants to teach us about joy. This is what he says in verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. This songwriter is writing about a moment in time when God restored the fortunes of Zion, and he says, and we were like those who dreamed. If you notice that word we gives you an idea that there is a specific group of people who were dreamers in this moment. I don't know about you, but do you have on your phone um, Shazam? I love Shazam. I love using Shazam because every time I go to like a new restaurant or I'm at a place where they have music playing, they're always playing the best music, and I want to know what song is playing. I want to know what song is playing, and I don't typically know every artist, so what I do is I grab my phone and I hit Shazam because I want to know who is singing this song. Have you ever been there? You ever been in a cafe or been listening to something on TV and said, who's singing that? I want to know. You can grab your phone, hit Shazam. For those of you with iPhones, everyone knows. I don't know what you do. I can tell you, you need to just get an iPhone. And you, oh, they still got Shazam. They give Shazam to y'all people on, Okay. Your Android users get access to Shazam. That's good. God is good, isn't he? Merciful and he's very good. Shazam. I, I do this because I want to know who it is that is singing. In this text, it says, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we. I want to know who the we is. Who is singing this song? Who wrote this? I'll tell you who it was. The Bible tells us, that the person who wrote Psalm 126, the group of people that have been restored are the exiles who left Babylon. Babylon took over Israel, destroyed Jerusalem, and then took a remnant with them to Babylon to live as slaves. These people had lived in Babylon for over 50 years, their homes destroyed, Everything that they had grown up experiencing was taken away from them. And the Bible says here in verse 1, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. These are the people that have now been freed from Babylonian captivity and they're on their way back to Jerusalem. They have been waiting for 50 Years and they are saying, We are on our way back to our homes. So, when they say the Lord restored our fortunes, what they are saying is, When He rescued us, when the Lord restored, 
Meaning, only God can make this possible. You have to think about the context of who these people are and what they're experiencing. Everything they had known was destroyed and they were taken away into captivity. And while they were taken away into captivity, they were then ruled over by Babylonian kings and they had no hope to get back home. And so their situation seemed like an impossible one to get out of. I don't know if you've ever experienced situations like that. Situations that feel impossible to escape from. Situations that feel like you are trapped in. Situations that hold you captive. Situations that have you chained. Feelings, emotions, things that have happened to you that seem to have you locked up. They say, when the Lord restored, letting us know that there is an answer for us whenever we feel like we're locked up and chained, whenever we feel like we have no way out, it's the Lord. It's God himself. He restored them. Whenever they're saying, whenever we weren't captive anymore, he says, God restored the fortunes of Zion. He pulled us from captivity and we were like those who dreamed. I don't want you to miss this. I want you to get it. He says, we thought it was a dream. We didn't think this was ever possible. This is so good. This has to be a dream. Have you ever been in a dream and while you're in a dream, you said, oh, this has to be a dream. This is too good to be true. The, he's saying, when we were pulled from captivity, it was like we were dreamers. We could not believe what God had done for us. We couldn't believe it because we didn't expect it to happen. I need you to get this so that you can fully understand how you can have joy in this season. Even if you're in moments in your life that feel like you will never expect God to move in, it's possible. He said, we were like those who dreamed. We couldn't believe it. We could not believe that God would do something like this for us. It says, our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. This person who's writing, if you're noticing, it's written all in the past tense. He says, when this happened, we were like those who dreams. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. They are recalling a moment where they were extremely full of joy. Full of joy. So much so that their mouths were filled with it. Now, I don't know about you, but most of the times my mouth is not filled with joy. It's filled with complaints. It's filled with it's filled with reasons as to why I shouldn't find joy or happiness. It's filled 
with complaints about people or about my situation. Instead, they say, our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongues were filled with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. I want you to notice this before we get into the very meat of this scripture. It says, when we were filled with joy and our mouths were filled with joy, then the nations noticed. Why? Because they talked about it. If there's one thing that's going to get the nations around us, your street, your school, your family members, the people at your work, if there's one thing that's going to allow them to see the goodness of God, it's going to come from your mouth. It's going to come from what you tell them about what God has done for you. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. They're grateful. They've been rescued. They've been unchained and unshackled. But this is past tense. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. We never saw this coming. And I love that it says this because it, it tells us that God can do more than we can imagine. Ephesians 3.20 says that God can do far more abundantly beyond all that you can ask, think, or imagine. He's saying God has done more than we could ever think of and so much so that we were filled with laughter and songs of joy the nations looked at us and said the Lord has done great things for them I wonder if the people around you say the same thing about you I wonder if the people around you say God's done something for him God's changed him God's impacted him. He's done great things for him. It says in verse 3, this section here, it's a declaration. He goes from recalling what happened to then making a declaration. At that moment, they declared these words, he's saying. The Lord has done great things for us. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. I, this scripture here is an incredible scripture that's sandwiched between two different parts of this little six-verse section. It says, the Lord has done great things for us, and we were filled with joy. Didn't they just leave captivity? And didn't they just step foot back into their homes that have been burnt down? They have spent 50 years in captivity and now they have a chance to go back home. And as soon as they step back home, 
they see the destruction that was left. They see everything that the Babylonians have destroyed. And yet they declare very clearly the Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. I'm, I'm going to give you an insight as to why they can say this. It's because they did not say, and we are happy. They said it's because we are filled with joy. See, joy is not a feeling, it's a choice. Joy is a choice and not a feeling. Paul said it in the New Testament when he was dealing with loss. He said in 2 Corinthians 6.10, I am full of sorrow, yet full of joy. Because I can deal with difficult things and then still choose to have joy. Paul is teaching us what we need to understand about joy, and it's what these people understood about joy, that joy is a choice. Joy is something you choose to feel. Happiness is a feeling, and that is fleeting, and it's up, and it's down. They said the Lord has done great things for us. They've returned to a burnt-down city. There's no temple to worship in. That's been destroyed. At that time, the cities would have walls around them to protect them from their enemies. We know from Bible history that the wall was torn down. Nehemiah would come later, later and he would rebuild the wall. But as they returned to their city, there was no wall there to protect them. So as they returned to their city, there's no infrastructure. They are exposed to their enemy and they could be attacked at any time. And they are saying, the Lord has done great things for us. Feels like a hallucination. It feels like, you know, positive thinking. You ever heard that? Just think positive. Just think positive. Just, just think on the positive things and maybe you can manifest it. That's what it feels like. And yet right here, this is in the Bible. It's because they say, we're not happy about the way things look, but we're choosing to have joy. And the Lord has done great things for us. I wonder how true this is in your life. I wonder how you respond when things around you don't look that good. I wonder how... how it looks in your life when things are destroyed, when things aren't exactly how you want them. Do you choose to have joy? Do you choose to have joy be the, the response in your life or do you go the opposite way? They said, the Lord has done great things for us. See, what they are saying is, no matter how difficult it is, 
we choose to have joy. And we can declare that God has been good to us, even though things don't look that good. I wonder, has God been good to you? I wonder if right now you can look around in your life, and even though there are some things that aren't finished yet, the wall wasn't done. Has God been good to you? I wonder if you look at your life and you see that you're not exactly where you want to be, can you still say, God's been good to me? I wonder if you could look at your life and say, there are some things that still have to be fixed. There's some areas that we have to build back up. There's some things that I don't really like the way they look right now, but God has been good to us. God has done great things for me. And when you think that way, that's when you start to tap into joy. And we are filled with joy. Now, I, I want to just um, work these last two or three scriptures, and we'll be out of here. It's real simple. I know you got shopping to do and things you got to take care of. I need you to see this, and I promise you it's going to be good. But you got to respond back to me. Is that okay? Because y'all are really quiet right now. I know that C.J. Stroud's not playing tomorrow, and you're worried about the Texans, and when are the Astros are going to add new players? You're really sad about this stuff. But I promise you there's some good news in this right now. It says, it says that the Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Verse 4 Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Let me read that again. Restore our fortunes, Lord. Let's go back to verse 1. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Now let's go to verse 4. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like the streams of the Negev. Notice the way it's written. It is written in the present tense. Verse 1 was the past tense. God, you did this for us before. You restored us when you pulled us out of the clutches of Babylon. You restored us when you, when you released our, our chains in the shackles, and it was like we were dreaming, but I need you again. So restore our fortunes, Lord, like the streams of the Negev. They are standing in front of their broken city, they are standing in front of a torn down wall and the Bible says that they realize, although they are filled with joy for what God has done for them, that there is still more work to do. And it's in these moments that they're asking for the Lord to help them in their current need. Our city is destroyed. The walls are torn down. It doesn't look good right now. How are we going to live in this situation? The enemy has conquered everything and we have nothing left. How are we going to survive without a wall? What are we going to do now that we're back home and everything is burnt to a crisp? So Lord, restore our fortunes, Lord, like the streams of the Negev, the streams of the Negev. That, that was actually on the south side of Israel. And it was an area that during the summer, when there was no rain, it would dry up like a desert. It would dry up like a desert, and, but during the rainy season, it would become a free 
flowing river. They're saying, God, right now, it's like a desert. Right now, there's nothing around. Right now, we are looking at what looks like a destroyed city that you bring us back to. And yes, we're grateful for you setting us free. Yes, we're full of joy because we're no longer in captivity. But Lord, we need you again. I wonder how many of you need God again. I wonder how many of you are are thankful for the things he has done for you, can look back and say, thank you for saving me from that relationship. Thank you for pulling me from that thing that helped me captive. Thank you for taking me out of that situation that was not good for me. God, thank you for for taking care of me in those times where I was being rebellious. Lord, thank you, Lord, for unchaining me from that addiction. But right now, where I'm at, I need you again. I need you now. I need you in the life that I am about to live moving forward. And this is what they are saying. Right now, it is, it is, it is a desert, but you could make this a flowing river. You could bring the kind of blessing. You could show up right now and bless us in a way that would make this desert road turn into a flowing river. And I believe that the Lord can do that for us. I believe he can do that for you. And I believe just like he, how he restored their fortunes once and he's going to restore them again, he can do that for us over and over and over and over again. Raging rivers would take over this area in the Negev. And they knew that if God moved, this is what could happen. If God moved again, we could experience this. And let me just encourage you with this. When God moves... Places that are dry can be flowing rivers. When God moves areas that feel dead and dormant, God can bring life to. When God moves in your life, you can see him move in a way that would give life to a desert place if he moves. That's what they're asking for. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like the streams in the Negev. You have to believe that he's going to do that. You have to trust that God can, even when things don't look great, even when things seem impossible. He said, restore our our fortunes, Lord, like the streams and the Negev. I wonder what it would look like if you would trust God again. I wonder what it would look like if you stood in front of that area that seems dead and lifeless and believed God could bring life back to it. I wonder what it would look like if you trusted God in the driest places of your life and said, I believe that God can restore our fortunes because if he's done it once, he's done it again. They said, restore our fortunes, Lord, like the streams in the Negev. They're saying it's dry. We, we're thankful that we're no longer in chains. Oh, but this looks difficult. Have you ever been in that place? Like, I'm really thankful I'm not in that anymore. But where I'm going now, that seems really hard. I wonder if you ever looked at the path in front of you and thought, I don't. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this. Not unless I have God with me. So here's how you can see why joy is your job. It says this in verse 5. 
those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Over and over again, repeated in this passage, is the word joy. They're standing in front of their city that's been burned down, and they realize something. It's time for us to farm. It's time for us to get to work. It's time for us to not feel sorry for ourselves, but to do the work that's necessary to revive what's in front of us. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. They're saying, we're standing in front of broken, burnt land. And instead of crying about it, we're going to work ourselves to a place where we can see God move because we're going to put in work. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Sowing is planting. He said, the way it's going to work is we got to get to planting. And we're going to be planting with tears. Meaning it's going to be difficult. Why? Because the land, it's burnt up. It's hard and it's wild because no one has touched it for 50 years. No one has worked this land for 50 years, so this land is hard to work. And what they're saying is, to us today, it doesn't matter how bad the soil looks. It doesn't matter how broken it might be. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not God's will for you. Just because it's going to take work doesn't mean you should give up. I know people that if it's hard, I'm not going to do it. Because if it's hard, it may not be what God wants me to do because I expect what God does for me to be easy. Newsflash, that's not true. Just because it's going to take work, it doesn't mean it's not of God and that you should give up. That's true of your relationships. That's true of your marriage. That's true of everything in your life. Just because it's hard, it doesn't mean to throw it away, just to give up. Just because it's not finished, they're looking at this ground, and they're looking at it, and they're saying, oh, my gosh, this ground is going to take forever to work through. It's not finished. It hasn't been tilled. And they're saying it's not easy, but it doesn't mean that God hasn't called us to work it. It means for us, and it means for them, it's time to pick up a shovel, it's time to open up the ground, it's time, it says, to plant seed. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Listen, here's what I'm going to tell you. You're not going to see it until I point it out. Your patterns have to match your prayers. Your patterns have to match your prayers. They're praying, God, restore our fortunes. What they're saying is, is, God, help us with our city. Help us with the area that we live in. 
but they're realizing we got to put our part to. Do you see it? Their prayer is, God, do something. But their pattern is, we got to put in work. Your prayers should match up with your patterns. They said, we're going to work this land, even if we're crying while we're doing it. Even if we're crying while we're doing it, my patterns have to match my prayers. You want to know why? Because how can I ask God for joy from something if I'm not willing to sow into it myself? How can you ask God to bring you joy in your marriage but you're not willing to work it? How can you ask God to give you joy at work when you're not willing to go in and put in a good day's work? How can you ask God to bring you joy in your finances if you're just going to spend it all on Amazon? How can I ask God for joy from something I'm not willing to sow into? They realize we, we've got to We've got to change our patterns, the way that we live, to match up to our prayers. God, I want you to fix my family, but you don't invest any time in them. God, I want you to, to give me a relationship that is healthy and in, in going in the right direction, and yet you keep going to the wrong sources. Do your patterns match your prayers? And here's what I think is so funny about this, and something I want to tell you about your life. You get to decide if you're going to complain about what's missing or thank God for what's available. Because they're standing in front of the city and it's destroyed. And I guarantee they have reasons to complain. You and I, we have the opportunity to choose whether we're going to complain about what's missing or whether we're going to thank God for what's available. We're home. We're no longer where we were. We may not be where we want to be, but that's okay. I'm thankful for what God has made available. You get to decide if you're going to stare at the burnt up, parched ground and be upset or if you grab a shovel. You get to decide if you're going to complain to God for the land that's unworkable or if you're going to invest in seed to plant in it. You get to decide if you're going to grab some seed and if you get to work because God is always willing to meet our efforts with his. So us, we have a chance to do that the way that they're saying here. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. I hate being outside. And this is telling me you're going to be a farmer. That's what you're going to do, city boy. You've got to get used to working the ground. You've got to get used to working it because your joy is your job. And what they're saying here is there are things that you're going to have to do, things that you're going to have to endure. What does it mean to plant a seed? Now, we did that when I was in elementary. We had a little cup. We planted a little pinto seed, put a little wet napkin on top, and we would see it sprout up. That's not what they're talking about. They're talking about farming. 
They don't have any practice farming. They've been captives for 50 years. Don't ever tell me that you can't handle what's in front of you because you've never done it before. You're missing it. They were captives. They didn't have to farm. And now they have to farm. And they could give up and say, never done that before. I don't know if that's what God wants me to do because I've never had to do that before. They're saying the thing that you need to do will always be outside of your capability. You're going to be a farmer. You're going to wake up early. You're going to go take, you're going to go take a plow and you're going to plow the field. You're going to plow the dirty, broken field. And you're going to do it every day from morning until night. And every morning, you're going to have to do that so that you can plant a seed. The investment that it, for your joy to happen, you've got to invest in it. You've got to be willing to put in the work. The Bible says, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. He says it's time to get to work because when you do, when you sweat a little bit, when you put in the effort, you will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, verse 6, we'll get the band to come up and we'll end. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Has the crying stopped from verse 5 to verse 6? Verse 4, I'm sorry, verse 5 is planting. And it says you're going to plant tears. Do you know how long it takes for a growth season to happen in the Bible? Years. Years. They're saying it's a long process. Most of us, we want instant gratification. But notice the tears did not stop from verse 5 to verse 6. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Verse 6, those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, they will return with songs of joy. Songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Sometimes you have to be okay with crying while you carry. Sometimes you have to be okay with it because you are then realizing what God is going to do next. The burden you're carrying now is just the seed for the joy you'll be carrying later. You don't see it. The burden you're carrying now, you're carrying seed to sow. You're carrying it. What are you carrying? What's the investment that you're going to put in? What's the effort that you're going to put in? What's the sacrifice that you're going to make? You don't just have seed. You have to go buy it. They were captives. This was not something they brought with them from Babylon. No, they had to go purchase this. 
and they couldn't leave it in the storehouse. They couldn't leave it for a better day. They couldn't leave it for when the ground seemed a little bit softer. They had to sow it regardless of the way it looked. They were carrying this seed saying, it's going to be everything that I have. I'm putting it into this. Everything that I have, I'm investing it into what's next. He says, when you do that, you're going to return with songs of joy. Because your joy is up to you. You are going to be the one carrying those sheaves. You. I just want to encourage you today as we end and as we go into this Christmas season. In the difficulty, in the trouble, are you sacrificing? Are you putting everything you can into it? Because when you do, the Bible guarantees that you're going to return with songs of joy. Your tears, I will say, are just seeds for the joy that God's going to bring in your life, for what God is going to do next for you. Just stand with me and let us pray. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and listening to this message. We trust that God will use this to speak to you and meet you where you are. Thank you so much for supporting this church through listening to us on Spotify. You can continue to stay connected with us to be in the know about what's happening here at The Anchor by following us on Facebook and Instagram at YourAnchorHTX. If you'd like to begin partnering with us financially, we invite you to visit our site at YourAnchor.org slash give. It's because of you and your generosity that we can reach the lost and deliver the hope of Jesus to people around the world. So we thank you. Anchor family, we love you. We are praying for you and we will see you next week.